Will you stand with me this morning? Satan fall like lightning. I saw darkness run for cover. But the miracle that I just can't get over is my name is registered in heaven. I believe in signs and wonders. I have resurrection power. Still a miracle that I just can't get over It's my name, it's registered in heaven My praise belongs to you forever You know, sing it out with me, this is my testimony This is my testimony From dead to life Since Christ rewrote my story I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony, this is my testimony. Come together, sons and daughters, bow with blood and washed in water, say, sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father, our God. What he started, I got, I got, we'll finish what he started. This is my testimony from death Cause Christ rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. Hey, this is my testimony. This is my testimony. While you're still living, God's not done in your story. Let's sing this out. If I'm not dead, then you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Greater things still to come. Oh, I believe in faith. If I'm not dead, then you're not done. Mm. Greater things still to come. See that? testimony from death to life since grace since Christ rewrote my story I'll testify sing it out by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony this is my testimony from death to life since Christ rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. 
amen and amen. God, we thank you this morning for everything you've done. Good morning, Grace Point. How are you? How is everyone? I can see you, kind of. Actually, if I tip my hat, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> it's so good to see everybody. Thank you for braving the California wind and rain to be here this morning. Um, you're actually an hour early. I'm just kidding. Um, you're an hour early by some people's standards because it's daylight saving. So in my mind, you get a gold star for being here on time. Not that anyone's counting, but it is a pleasure and an honor to worship with you this morning. Let's keep singing.
attention towards the screen for a quick announcement video. Hey, Grace Point Church. We are so excited that you're with us today. My name is Christian, and if it's your first time, make sure to fill out a connection card that's right in front of you. Last Sunday, we had such a great time serving for our Faith in Action Sunday. Next, Rick is about to highlight on a few of those numbers and what that looked like and how we impacted our community. Thank you for being a part of Faith in Action Sunday. It was so awesome to see over 300 of us all with our red shirts on here and out in the community. I wanna give you a little bit of a recap of what we achieved on that Sunday. We made over 72 disaster cleanup kits that are gonna be shipped off soon to Turkey and Syria. In addition to that, we made 600 hygiene kits that are also going to uh, displace people in Turkey and Syria. Beyond that, we made almost 500 ICU packets. They're gonna be used here for our own use and they're also gonna be uh, sent back to the San Diego Rescue Mission for homeless outreach in our community. Between Hilltop Park and Black Mountain Trail and Powerhouse Park at the beach in Del Mar, we picked up so many bags of trash. Guys, thank you for your hard work. Those of you who went to the police station and washed those police cars, from what I've heard, the police department is so thankful for your involvement, your support, and I wanna say thank you too. Many of you went to Torrey Pine Senior Living Center. And I know the residents were so appreciative to have us visit. It was an awesome time from everything I've heard. I got the chance to work with many of you at Bridge of Hope doing some yard work. It was a great time and Sherry Briggs is so appreciative and it's really gonna give her an opportunity to do even more ministry with her outdoor space. GPC, thanks for making this such a great weekend. I've heard so many wonderful stories that have come from it, but I haven't heard all of them. If you've got a story to tell, I want to hear about it. In fact, I want everybody to hear about it. I want an opportunity to film you. So if you could uh, let me know that you've got a story to tell, I want to make arrangements with you to record that. I want to put it on our social media. I want to uh, make sure that our church knows about faith in action because so, we're going to do this again, guys, and it's going to be awesome. Thanks for being a part of it. Love being a part of this church with you. And with that same heart of serving, we want to invite you to join us on Easter weekend. We're gonna have a service opportunity for you on April 8th. We're holding an event that's gonna be open to the entire community. And if you're interested in signing up or serving, here's a link for you to click on. There's so many roles for you to help us out with. We would love to see you on that Easter weekend. Again, thank you for joining us today. We're excited to have you here. And next, please continue with us in a time of worship.
Next part says, I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. If you feel comfortable, I invite you to have your hands open to receive in this moment that you surrender. As we sing that line together. Here we go. I will climb this mountain with my hands
for just a second. Think of what God's done for you in and out of seasons, where he had you, where he has you. God put it on my heart this week that you are enough before you win the battle, that sometimes you're taken down to the remnant so that he can be glorified in that purity and the purest part of what's left that he wants to build. You are enough. Whether you're in the high or the low, you are enough, but you are definitely enough before he sends you into battle, before you win. Because it never started with you, it always started and ended with him. As he is the Alpha and the Omega of the story. God, I pray for whoever that is for before we sing this next song. I pray that this is the moment of surrender. We say, not us, but you. That in our weakest, you are made perfectly strong. You are so worthy this morning as we sing this song together. I'm gonna sing till my heart starts changing. I'm gonna worship till I mean every word. Here's the way I feel and the fear I'm facing. Doesn't change who you are Or what you deserve If you know, sing it with me I give you my worship Cause you still deserve it You're worthy, you're worthy You're worthy of my song I pour out your praises In blessing and breaking We sing this next verse in authority. I'm gonna live like my king is risen. Come on. I'm gonna live like my king is risen. Gonna preach to my soul that you've already won. Even though I can't see, I'm gonna keep. as good as love I give you my worship cause you still deserve it you're worthy you're worthy you're worthy of my song I'll pour out my praises and blessing and breaking
When I sat by that hospital bed You were worthy She could barely lift her head You were worthy After all those tears were shed You were worthy I'll never stop singing your praise I'll never stop singing your praise for this morning, for this time that we've had to lift songs up together. But the true worship is a surrendered heart in response to what you've done. So as we continue in your word with Pastor Bob, with what you've put on his heart, I pray that you continue to be glorified inside, that the cup be cleaned inside first. We love and praise you. In your precious name we pray. And the church said, Welcome, Grace Point Church. Okay, let's go ahead and kind of uh, be honest here. It's kind of harder to get up this morning, a little drizzly, and you lose an hour of sleep. And let's all agree, the people who really love Jesus came to the first service today. And so 
I'm not talking to the people on the couches. You're kind of here, and so, but we're glad you're here as well. Matter of fact, um, there is a very special a new friend of mine that, uh, through email, met early this morning from another country. And so I'll share, not her name, but I will share some of her heart with you towards the end this morning. So thanks for being here. It's good to be here with you. Let's open up God's word together. You know, he really is worthy. He's worth getting up early er, on a drizzly day to uh, lean in his direction. That's, that's why you're here. And uh, I'm really encouraged this morning by how I truly believe how God's going to encourage some of you uh, who have been struggling with something um, in the past few, uh, in the past few, I guess, seasons of your life, uh, he's worthy. You're walking with Jesus, but there are times in your life, there are times in my life that we're more secret, we're more private than God wants us to be. And so he's worthy, and you, you have a heart that wants to, to express your love, your, your worship. But then the world gets in the way. And we keep the worthy reality. We keep the worship inside more. Why? What are you and I afraid to lose when we say, God, I think I'm just going to go ahead and keep my faith more to myself. That's where we're going this morning. And let me tell you also something about where we're going this morning when you and I are more private than faithful to be salt and light in a broken world, in a darkened world, crying out for light, when you and I are more private, when you and I are more struggling inside than we want anyone else to realize about our faith, You know what the devil's doing? The devil is right there. He is the accuser of the brothers and sisters in Christ. You are in Christ. You are born again. You're forgiven. You are adopted in. But the devil wants you to doubt your faith when you struggle with your faith. And I'll be honest with you. I doubt anybody's faith who doesn't doubt their own faith. Let me say that again. I doubt anyone's faith who has never doubted with their faith because we look to the unseen. So I want to help some of you. I want to share with all of you, but I want to help some of you who have really been struggling with God. I am so sorry for being a more secretive Christ follower than I have been. And I think there's a word that God has for you towards the end of this morning. So let's just jump right on in. So two Sundays ago, last Sunday, Faith in Action, over 1,000 hours invested in a few hours where like over 330 of us put on red shirts and got out of here and and made a difference beyond our borders. That's pretty cool. And a couple Sundays ago, two Sundays ago, we were back in the Mark uh, story, one of the four Jesus stories of the, of the Bible, of the New Testament, and Jesus died. Uh, he died after six hours of excruciating, painful exhaustion on a cross. He died at 3 p.m., started at 9 a.m. 
So Jesus is still on the cross where we are now going to pick up the story. So walk with me. And, and I would encourage you always, have a Bible open, either on your phone or on your lap, uh, because I, there are some words, there are some lines I want you to underline and circle for later. And uh, I do think that there's some nuggets, I would say even some hidden nuggets in this, uh, maybe I would call it a transition passage. We are so tempted to go ahead and, and read about this Joseph of Arimathea, uh, and, 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 then, and then keep going. Yeah, great. Kind of more of a cameo presence in the gospel story. He kind of helped out between crucifixion and resurrection. But now let's get to the good stuff. We're going to spend a little more time on, on him. And, uh, and then we're going to save the resurrection until next Sunday in Mark 16. So here we go. Mark chapter 15, verse 40. There were also, uh, now Jesus is on the cross. And uh, there were also women looking on from a distance at Golgotha, the place of the skull, among whom were Mary Magdalene, another Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and Joseph and Salome. So there's three women that were uh, at Golgotha looking and watching Jesus die. When he was in Galilee, they followed him, these three, and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So again, men and women were part of Jesus' following, uh, committed followers and leaders of the early uh, ministry of Jesus and the early church, just as there are many women and men who are leaders and walkers with Jesus' followers today. We're going to talk more about these women in Mark 16. And uh, where they're going give, to be given a little bit more attention into the resurrection story. So we're going to not focus on them as much this morning. Take a look now at verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, uh, this is again the Friday before their Sabbath Saturday. Um, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea... Why is he called of Arimathea? It's a small town northwest of Jerusalem, southeast of Tel Aviv. And uh, the reason is there's other Josephs in the Bible, just like there's a lot of Marys in the Bible, right? And so there are honestly two way more famous Josephs in the Bible. One's in the Old Testament, starting in Genesis 37, right? You got the Joseph, the coat of many colors guy. And then you got Joseph, the, the, uh, the borrowed dad of Jesus in the New Testament. So when you think of the Josephs in the Bible, that'd be kind of a fun small group question. I already ruined it. You know, who comes to mind? My guess is some of you Bible nerds would guess Joseph of Arimathea, but he would be a distant third, I would say. You go quickly over the Joseph of the old and, and the new. And uh, so, but we're going to go ahead and highlight, I'm calling this the other Joseph, right? So, and when evening came, since it was uh, the day before the Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath, uh, verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, this guy, he's a respected member of the council, the Sanhedrin, uh, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. He took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So at 3 p.m., Jesus breathed his last, gave up his spirit, built a bridge that you could not build between unholiness and holiness. We've talked about that. We'll talk more about that in the coming days. Um, but I want to kind of highlight a few things about this man during 
this message. And the first thing I want to highlight is the idea that he took courage. Why did he need courage to do what he did? Well, what did he do? He went to Pilate, the Roman governor, who basically signed Jesus' death certificate. He was the one in charge. And uh, so if, if you're going to take a corpse down from the cross, you need Pilate's permission. And uh, so uh, this Joseph of Arimathea took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Why did it take courage? Well, Pilate killed Jesus. Uh, Pilate signed his execution. He didn't want to. We've talked about Pilate before. He knew Pilate was innocent, but Pilate caved to the crowd. It's amazing back then and today how much power people back then and today give to the crowd, yeah? And uh, so he took courage because Pilate's main job was to keep the peace. Uh, I want no unrest. I don't want any frustrated followers of this Jesus. He's dead. He's gone. Okay, let's move on, right? And so now this guy is literally declaring a little bit of respect, uh, maybe some commitment, some, 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 some loyalty to, to this guy. And I says, you know, yeah, you're not going to cause trouble, are you? So basically, uh, he could have easily been arrested as he's kind of saying, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to uh, respect this Jesus uh, enough to give him a proper burial. It would have been much easier, safer for Joseph of Arimathea to stay secret and private even more than he was. But he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate didn't care. He wanted to make sure that Jesus was really dead. No swoon theory, right? And so he, he talks to these trained, professional Roman soldiers. He's dead, right? Oh, yeah. We, we made sure. Verse 44. So Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died because it takes a long time to be crucified. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion, that's the leader of over 100 Roman soldiers that were paid to go ahead and make sure he's dead, uh, the centurion that they granted the corpse to, to Joseph. And uh, so let's, let's take a look at 46. So he gets permission, and then Joseph bought a linen shroud and then literally took him down. Now, this is the day before the Sabbath, and we're, in, there's, we're not going to get into too much of the Jewishness about this, but uh, according to Jewish standards, you, you touch a dead body, you're unclean. According to their standards, Jesus touched a lot of dead bodies, okay? And he healed people. And so he, there are so many Jewish laws, uh, rabbinical laws, religious laws back then that Jesus went out of his way to break. And we've looked at many of those as he went through the Gospel of Mark. But uh, Joseph of Arimathea literally is the one, along with Nicodemus, if you know the story, taking down this dead body and, and wrapped him in linen cloth uh, and then... Back in those days, they did not embalm bodies like the Egyptians, but they, uh, they wrapped bodies in, in linen cloth, and every fold, they put spices inside, including myrrh. And so that was the, the, the proper way to, to bury people back then. So Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, he wrapped him in this linen shroud, and he laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. 
you go to Israel, it's very common. Literally, you're just driving around. Last time I was there, I literally stopped and took a picture of just one obscure hole in, 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 in the wall uh, next to a, a pill, uh, a disc uh, that was just beside the hole. That's very typical back then because in Israel, there's a lot of limestone, a lot of rock, 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 okay? And so the way you, you bury people um, is you dig a hole inside kind of a limestone wall. And, uh, and the hole is smaller. It's about like three to four feet in, in, in diameter. And, uh, and then you dig that hole, and then you go further in, and you dig a larger hole inside. Why? Well, you don't have to have a huge entrance. You need to have more of a larger uh, space inside. So that's typically what they did. They, they take a smaller entrance, and then they dig, and then they widen it inside. And uh, in the smaller entrance, uh, you, you roll a stone against the entrance. And the stone is not this huge boulder, this huge, uh, massive piece of rock. Basically, again, it's just larger, not of the cave created, but the entrance that was leading into the cave. And typically, in these uh, first century tombs inside limestone rock, uh, there were family tombs. And so what you do is that you don't just have a tomb for one. You have a tomb for your, your family from one generation to the next. And so what you do is the, the, the earliest one or the most recent one that is dead, um, you wrap and then you place towards the entrance inside the tomb. And bodies back then and today, they decompose, they disintegrate, and eventually, uh, there's nothing but bones. And so after the decomposition, you go back and then you box up the bones. And you put them towards the back of the family tomb. And you wait for the next one to pass to be uh, wrapped and placed towards the entrance of the tomb uh, in honor of their life. So that's kind of what was happening here. So Jesus, um, and we're going to see that this was a new tomb, but it was not made just for one. It was made for many, uh, a family. Um, but Jesus was placed here, uh, and his body was going to decompose, uh, so they thought. So he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, against Salome, is not represented here. But these two, notice where they are. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So not only were they watching Jesus die, they were following where Jesus was placed. And so they were literally at the tomb where Joseph of Arimathea was responsible after taking courage to ask for Pilate permission. He was the one to go ahead and placed Jesus there. So that's the text, okay? So that's basically all of the story that we're going to uh, highlight this morning. And, uh, you know, again, it's tempting. Okay, great. Good for Joseph. He was taken down. He was placed in a tomb. And now let's get to the good stuff. Well, there's some really good stuff in, in these few verses and also in the other three Gospels. It's interesting. Joseph of Arimathea is listed, is given attention in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And very rarely, actually, uh, do you have the same person, the same story, the same 
experience listed in all four. And uh, so why? What's the big deal? If he's just this transition person who kind of allowed, uh, because of his little cameo appearance between crucifixion and resurrection, what's the big deal? So many people are not named in the scriptures. Why him? That's what we're looking into this morning. So uh, on your outline, there's some references here. We're going to go ahead and, and unpack this a little bit more. But we're going to ask and answer three questions. Who was this guy? And uh, we're going to kind of highlight from all four Gospels some of the details about this guy. Why? I'm not just going to nerd out with you. Uh, but I want to introduce him to you. Because you and I are a lot like him. So who is this guy? Why was he important? So important that he's listed in all four. And then, more purposefully, what can we learn from this guy? Again, if you've been around our church much, uh, we know that information without application doesn't do much transformation in our lives. So again, we're going to go through some Bible stuff, but I want this to be more of a journey than a study, right? We've talked about this. A journey means that you are moving, you are maturing step by step. So I'm going to be encouraging you towards the end. Now, what step? Maybe you're, you're a little smarter about biblical truth this morning. Ooh, this and that. Didn't know about that pill. Didn't know about that limestone and, uh, and, and all that. Um, I pray you and I would all be taking some steps this morning after we hear about his story. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Who was this guy? So again, Mark 15, 42, 43. And there's three things that we know about this passage that we've already looked at. So let's now slow down, look at all four Gospels, and kind of just build uh, his resume. Yeah? Here we go. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, that's the first thing we know. He's from this small town in Judea, the southern region of Israel. Uh, and he was a respected member of the council. Now, again, the council is synonymous of the Sanhedrin, which was the council. It's the 70-member Jewish religious ruling body of the entire nation, kind of their supreme court, if you will. They were the ones that, that tried Jesus on a Thursday night. They were the first group that spit on him, that hurt him, that uh, dishonored him. And then it was these people that turned uh, Jesus over to the Romans who finished him off physically. And so we, we know that he, he is part of this council. But notice this, a respected member of the council. What is that? He wasn't a rookie member, right? He was a respected member. He probably was one of their committee leaders, you know, and, and, and one of their subgroup, you know, uh, you know, spokespeople. And so he was no rookie. He was looked up to. He was respected. Let me just cut to the end of this morning. Let me guarantee you something. You walk with Jesus. You live for his reverence. The world will respect you less. You can't have both all the time. You must choose. We've said this before. Are we living for an audience of one? Are we living for an audience of them? And so he was a respected member. He didn't want to lose that. Hold that thought. A respected member of the council who was also himself. And here, here's, here's the third thing we learned from Mark 15. He was looking for the kingdom of God. 
He was a God seeker. He, he, he was waiting for the earthly oppression of other nations to be, again, evaporated uh, from the nation of Israel. He, he was looking more for the power of God to show up. And, uh, and he took courage, and he went to Pilate. So it's interesting. So he was looking for the kingdom of God. Obviously, there was some respect. At least there was some respect about Jesus. Because I'm looking for the kingdom of God. Obviously, Jesus is part of that. He claimed to be the Messiah. And uh, we don't know yet where Joseph of Arimathea landed with Jesus. But we do know that there was enough respect uh, that he took courage, risked his life, uh, literally, to go ahead and say, I'd like to go ahead and uh, have your permission, sir, to take his dead body down and give him a proper burial. So now that's Mark, okay? So now let's get, let's, uh, get into a few more of these Gospels because let's, let's expand his resume a little bit more. And again, I'm not going to end with this biblical uh, building of his resume because literally I'm trying to introduce him to you so you can see how you are a lot like him in some ways. So now let's get over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 27, 57 and 58. So when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea. Well, that's new. So not only was he respected, he was a rich man from this small town of Arimathea. And here's also something that's new. Who also was a what? Man, if you have your Bibles, you got to circle this one. You got to underline it. Um, because we're going to unpack this a little bit later on. He was a disciple of Jesus. It, it's not that he became one later after the, 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 the death or the resurrection. He was a disciple of Jesus. And we're going to learn he was already a disciple of Jesus, even when Jesus was pronounced guilty of blasphemy on a Thursday night. So he was a rich man, and he was a disciple. Let me just push pause just for a second. This is one of the many examples of the Bible where God made sure in his story that there's plenty of, of poor and wealthy people that are disciples of Jesus. Some people would say, well, no, no, no. Back then, and obviously today, uh, only really poor people really need Jesus. Me, I'm, I'm pretty good, and uh, so I'm secure, and... Uh, because my money's in, in a bank, and banks will never falter. Okay, I had to say that, okay? And, okay. So, um, you know, in the Bible, hear me, there are many wealthy and people in poverty that are living for an audience of one. Don't you believe that only poor people need Jesus? That is so not true. We are going to all leave it all here. And Joseph was rich, and he was a follower, and uh, some people say, well, no, you can't because if you're rich and you become a follower, you need to give it all away because godliness and poverty. No, no, no. I mean, there's, there's nowhere in the Bible about that. And so we are to give. We are to sacrifice first fruits giving. We talk about that. It's biblical. Um, but again, uh, this man was a rich man and he was a disciple. And we have many in the world standards in the kingdom of God locally and globally that uh, are a lot like him. And so um, he was a disciple, and he went to Pilate as a disciple, as a follower. He not just had a respect for Jesus, he was a follower. That's what the word disciple means. He was a follower of Jesus, and uh, that's why he risked Jesus' 
to be buried. Um, let's keep it going. So take a look at uh, verse 59 of Matthew 27. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb. That's new. So not only did he uh, place Jesus in a tomb, but it was his own. Um, this was a tomb that he had cut out of a rock that he was saving for him and his family. And uh, his own new tomb, not yet to be used. And Joseph said, I want my Jesus, who I am following, who I place my faith in. I want him to be placed first. His own new tomb, which he had cut out of a rock, and he rolled a great stone. It was Joseph who did this. And again, he wasn't massive Samson. It was a small pill, a little bit larger than the three-foot entrance. You literally have to stoop down. If you see these holes today in Israel, you can't just kind of walk in. You've got to stoop down and go in, and then it widens out on the inside. And uh, so he, he cut out the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. And then verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there. Man, I tell you, again, uh, that's one to circle. Where were they? They were there with Joseph of Arimathea sitting opposite the tomb. I caution you and I caution me of arguing from silence which basically means people spend way too much time what is not in the Bible, and they really don't focus on what is in the Bible. But this passage begs a question. Who wasn't there? Mary Magdalene was there. Mary, the mother of, of, of younger uh, James, was there. And Joseph of Arimathea were there, these gospel stories. Who wasn't there? The eleven many other followers, they weren't arrested. They ran successfully away from the Romans on a Thursday night. They weren't there. Why were they not there? Well, they were afraid too. You're going to see that in the stories as we continue to unpack this. But it's, 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 it's something, and it's, it's basically humbling um, that uh, the disciples knew what would happen to Jesus' body if they didn't take the courage to do what Joseph of Arimathea did. And uh, it's interesting, we're not going to go there. John the baptizer, earlier when he was beheaded uh, by the Roman establishment, do you know what his followers did? They wanted to make sure he was buried. So they risked going to Herod and said, we'd like to bury the one that we follow. Uh, they were, in a sense, more faithful, more courageous than the 11 who spent three and a half years with Jesus. It's interesting that in crucifixion, uh, you cannot experience that as a Roman citizen. That's something about some context that might be helpful here. Uh, no Roman citizen could ever be crucified um, because it's, it's, it's only for the criminals. And the criminals would not be given a burial. There was a place next to Golgotha. Basically, there was a trash heap. And dead bodies, dead carcasses, corpses would be taken down. They'd basically be thrown out with the trash. And... If the dogs and the birds don't ravage the body enough, the trash is burned on a regular basis. 
So you have James and Andrew and Bartholomew and Philip and Peter. And they know pretty much what's going to happen to Jesus' body. He was killed as a criminal. He's going to be thrown out with the trash. Well, Joseph of Arimea took courage and said, you know what? I'm stepping in. I'm stepping up. And I'm going to do what he deserves. And I'm going to do what little I can. And so uh, it was these ladies and this man who is given credit of being there when everyone else chose not to be. Now let's go over to Luke. Uh, So we did a little bit of Matthew, a little bit of Mark. So Luke 23, and then we have John 19 in a minute. So now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council. So far, nothing new. A good and righteous man. Well, that's new. We kinda, he was seeking the kingdom of God. He was a disciple of Jesus, a good and righteous man. Here's something new in verse 51. Who had not consented to their decision and action. What does that mean? This is where you and I are a lot like him, and we cave to the crowd at times. Notice what, he's, what it says here. Who had not consented to their decision and to their action. What was their decision? Guilty of blasphemy. He is not who he claims to be. He dares to call himself the one that Daniel 7 prophesied about. That he's going to come down from heaven and have all power and all authority. He's going to be the son of God, the son of man. He claims to be, if you see me, you see God and I have the power to forgive sins. He claims to be God. We have to kill him. Well, Joseph of Arimathea, he did not consent to their decision. Why? Because he believed Jesus was who Jesus claimed to be. So he did not consent to their decision or action. But you know what? He allowed it. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. He already decided in his case for Christ that Jesus was God the Son, the Son of God, the one that was promised, the one that would bridge unholiness with holiness. And... uh, He consented to their decision. I'm going to go one step further. Not only did he consent, he did not consent to to their decision. He stayed silent. Okay, you know, slow down, Bob. It doesn't say that. Maybe he did speak up in in the 70-member meeting of the Sanhedrin on a Thursday night where they were declaring him guilty. Uh, Maybe he did speak up. You know why? I know he didn't speak up. It's a passage we already looked at earlier. Let's take a look at that real quick. Go back now to Mark chapter 14, 64 and 65. Let's go back to a Thursday night. Caiaphas, the high priest, and the 70 were meeting. And they're in the middle of the night, they, they, were, they were building their case to encourage the Romans to kill this Jesus. You have heard his blasphemy. He claims to be God. What is your decision? And they what? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Who's part of that all? A secret disciple of Jesus. He was there. He was in the room. He did not consent to their decision or to their action. He stayed silent. He didn't speak up. A lot like you and I at times. And some began to spit on him. Who is that? Is that the Romans? That's not the Romans. That's the Jewish Sanhedrin. So after they declare him guilty of blasphemy, they beat him. Where was Joseph of Arimathea? He was watching. And they 
spit on him, and, and the Sanhedrin covered his face, and they struck him, saying, prophecy now. And then they turned him over to the Romans, and the Romans finished the job. They were probably smiling. Yeah, you think that's hurting him? Yeah, you, you guys don't know how to do it. Let us do it. And so then the Romans received him with blows on the inside, and then remember the story, then he's taken outside, and a whole legion of Roman soldiers were there, and the crucifixion process begins. Joseph of Amarathea, my guess is, for eternity, he regrets his silence on a Thursday night where he was watching, and he didn't speak up. Uh, we know that Nicodemus was also part of this as, as a Pharisee, and uh, these two, uh, they made their decisions. And it's interesting, they struggle with the crowd just like you and I. Let's go back just for a second. Joseph of Arimathea wasn't the first, and he won't be the last denier uh, who, 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 who buckled under the pressure of the intimidating crowd around them. Let's go back to Peter. Peter the denier. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. I'm going to bring him back, actually, on Easter Sunday. And... Uh, Peter followed at a distance, and he was a secret disciple in the courtyard outside of Caiaphas' house when Jesus was being tried by the Sanhedrin, right? And so Peter out there, three times he denied Jesus. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. To hell with him or something. I mean, he tried to sound as secular as he possibly could, and then, okay, yeah, you're, you're not one of them. I guess, I guess you're one of us. That was Peter the, the denier. And Peter greatly regretted that evening. And we're going to talk about that Easter Sunday. And, uh, but what this guy did, I'd say, is as bad or worse. Peter wasn't around when Jesus was beaten. He was outside. This guy was inside. He watched it. He stayed silent when they did it to him. And uh, it's interesting, I was looking back at this too, how at least Peter tried to do something. You know, when Jesus was getting arrested in the garden, everybody knew what was going to happen to him. Remember what Peter did? He, he risked his life. He pulled out a sword, and he tried to go ahead and do what little he could. And it was Jesus who saved Peter's life that night. He said, no, stop it. No, no one's going to die tonight. And, uh, and I will be arrested. I will give up my life. Peter, put your sword away. I want to say at least Peter tried to do something. This Joseph, he did nothing. He watched his Savior uh, be convicted and be assaulted. Um, so why? So Bob, a little bit of conjecture there. What was he feeling? You know, and it says that he consented, but what was he feeling inside? Why did he stay silent? Uh, well, let's finally get to the last in John 19. And, uh, and you put all these four gospels together and you you build a resume john 19 verse 38 and these things joseph of arimathea and after these things uh, joseph of arimathea who was a disciple of jesus so now again matthew and john both declare him not just a respecter of jesus but a follower of jesus um, but notice this who was a disciple of jesus but secretly for fear of the jews there it is and that is why he held back. And then he, later he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. 
there's something I want you to, now that you've read it and reflected on it, I want you to believe it. Can you be a struggler, follower of Jesus? The answer is yes. See, some of you, you're struggling. Hey, we're all struggling. We're all a lot like this guy. But some of you, in your religious baggage, you are made to believe if you struggle, you're out. In your small group, you better not say you're doubting your faith. You better not say you're, you're dealing with things that doesn't honor God. We all do. Can you be a struggler and a follower? Can you stay silent and in a moment not exhibit your faith and be consumed by fear? He's exhibit A. I'm exhibit B. And you're on the list too. So why is it that most churches are full of pretenders? It's because we don't believe in grace. And some of you, you have been thrown out when you finally were as honest as God calls you up to be. Like I said before, I doubt your faith if you've never doubted your faith. So he was a a follower of Jesus as a struggler watching Jesus' body get assaulted. A couple more things here. So that's a big reminder, and there's a few other nuggets that I want to, to, to unpack in the Old and New Testament. So on your outline, let's keep it going here. And uh, so let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. If it wasn't for Joseph of Arimathea, there would have been no burial. Jesus' body would be thrown out with the trash. He would have been picked apart by dogs and birds, and then his body would be burned along with stale lettuce. Okay. And uh, it's interesting, Paul, the Apostle Paul, picks up the important truths of now our journey with Jesus as followers of Jesus. And he doesn't just talk about crucifixion and resurrection. You know what Paul emphasizes? Crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, 2, and 3, and 4. Now, I would remind you, now this is later, right, of the gospel I preach to you, the good news of Jesus, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. And it's the good news. For I deliver to you as of what? First importance. These are the golden nuggets of our faith. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, crucifixion, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was what? That he was buried, and that he rose. Crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It's interesting that God uses in the New Testament not just crucifixion and resurrection, but he communicates to our spiritual maturing journey the importance of being buried with Christ. It's interesting. Matter of fact, in your small groups, if you are in one of our sermon discussion groups, you're going to unpack this next passage a little bit more. Uh, This is just one example of Romans 6, 3 and 4. Matter of fact, you're going to take a look at Romans 6, 1 through 14. Let me just give you two verses for time this, this morning. Notice how Paul is thankful for the burial. Because there's some, there's some spiritual realities that we literally were buried with him so that we can be raised to a new life. 
And uh, notice what he says here. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus, the word baptized, there's, it's really more spiritual than, than water. Um, there's a spiritual baptism and there's a, there's a physical baptism. The word baptizo, baptism, literally means to be brought into. And so you are baptized into Christ. You are brought into God's family when not you get some water immersed upon you, but no one you bow the knee to him as Lord and Savior. So spiritual baptism and then physical baptism is a symbol of that. Okay. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We were baptized into his death. We were buried. Thank you, Joseph of Arimathea. Therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might what? We might walk. Because not of the eleven, because of the two, Joseph and Nicodemus, Paul can now write to the first generation and to our generation this, this symbolism of burial, that we have been buried, we have been put under, and now we're taking out as a new creation, as a, 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 as a new follower of Christ. Something pretty cool here, too. So not only was he stepping up and faithful with great courage and did what most of the followers chose not to do. Did you know that Joseph of Arimathea, he wasn't aware of this, my guess, uh, but he is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. You know, again, there's a lot of prophecies in the Bible. We, we look at and think, how is that going to work? I mean, they, they've had some. How, how is Jesus going to be born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazarene? That doesn't make sense. And we look back and go, well, we know why. And, uh, and he, here's one. In Isaiah 53, I'm just going to give you one here. Uh, Verse 7, start here. Isaiah 53 is full of biblical prophecy. 700 years before Jesus' death, life, resurrection. And, And here's one that for many years, scholars were scratching their heads back in Old Testament times. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, Jesus. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And here it is. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. What? Thank you, Joseph. The other Joseph, the Joseph of Arimathea. He was made. He was, again, uh, appointed a grave with the criminals. He was going to be put on the pile. But with a rich man in his death, he was buried in a rich man's tomb. It's interesting how back then and today we're faithful. We follow God's promptings and we have no idea the the ripples beyond that from one generation to the next. We're just called to be faithful. Like I shared with some people before our service, there are so many times we are faithful. We have no idea the fruit in this generation and the next. We're not called to see all the fruit, but we are called to be faithful. Thank you, Joseph of Arimathea. And there's one, actually, I'm confident Isaiah 53 is attributed to the courage and the honor that Joseph of Arimathea gave to Jesus' body. And uh, this one might be a stretch. Let me just give it to you from your pastor. Take a look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 talks about also the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and, uh, and how Jesus started in humility, born in poverty, 
And then he died a criminal's death, yeah? And then he rose on the third day. Notice what Philippians 2 says. I thought this was interesting. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Incarnation, God the Son came to us. And uh, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why would they say even death on a cross? It was the most horrible way to die. Verse 9, therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I think the first hint at exaltation was being buried in a rich man's tomb. More is coming. All authority will be given. But his dad said no. The exaltation begins now. There's so many things that God is doing that we're not aware of. And we're just one small walker, Christ follower in the middle about that. And uh, thank you for Joseph, the other Joseph. So let me wrap this up. So that's the story. Those are some general highlights. How do you bring it home? How do I encourage you and I to do something with this story in our story? And here's some things I want to highlight, and I, I hope we all have, a, have, have ears to ear. Here we go. What, what, what can we live, what can we live in, in light of? You know, in Romans 6 and in other passages, our, our journey with Jesus is, is, is described as a walk. And at other times, it's described as a run. A race. Now, again, you're not competing with anybody else except your flesh, okay? Uh, but the idea of a walk and a run is God says, don't peter out in the end. Have a strong finish. Don't, don't just uh, begin with energy. End with energy. God, that's what God wants for all of us. And boy, if you read the scripture, not many people end with energy. Many people limp across the finish line. And so, but let me walk you through a couple of things here in light of this text. Uh, here's the first one. A good start does not promise a strong finish. A good start doesn't promise one. A strong finish. Towards the end of the maturing journey of the 11 with Jesus, where were they? There's so many passages in Scripture that shout beyond the disciples because honestly they did finish strong they had their moment here of fear and intimidation and uh but there's so many people that don't have a later moment of faithful obedience and they 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 wander and they they limp across the line and uh, so hear me if you have a good start good for you do not believe that only a good start uh equates to a strong finish I'm going to just give you a couple of examples here. Maybe just for the sake of time, just, I'll just give you one. Jesus talks about this. In one of the classic parables that he teaches and reteaches from town to town is the parable of the soils. If you're a Bible learner, you remember this one. If you're brand new, we're glad you're here. Let me introduce you to one of Jesus' favorite stories. It's called the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. And so as a farmer, sows seed, right? And, uh, and some seed falls on a hardened path. 
that, that doesn't even begin to grow. It just bounces off, and the birds come and, get, and take them. And then you have some seeds that fall on three different soils beyond the hardened heart or path. And in all three, there's a good start. And it's interesting. And then the weeds and the worries and the world, two out of three that have a good start, they don't have a strong finish. Why is Jesus telling that story from town to town to town? He says, literally, when the gospel is sown, 25% ends up being fertile. One of the lessons for you and I is, don't get cocky. Don't get overly confident. Stay alert. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. You know, 1 Peter, that passage, it's talking to Christians here. So just because you have a good start doesn't promise that you're going to have a strong finish. And let's go ahead and move on. Here's here's another one. And uh, a slow start, though, doesn't prevent a strong finish. What do I mean by that? That's Joseph of Arimathea, and that's so many of us. So many of us are more secret than God wants us to be. Let's just be honest. And if you would talk about the pace of your walk with Jesus, if you're honest, many, most might say it's slower than God wants it to be. But here's the good news. A slow start doesn't prevent you from having a strong finish. Don't believe that a strong finish cannot start right now. I love how Joseph Mayer, he was secret the whole time. Did anyone know that he put his allegiance on Jesus? My guess is no one knew until the end. My guess is the first one who saw it was Pilate. He was a secret follower, but his slow start did not prevent him from having a strong finish. I mean, you look at so many stories in the Bible, and you're going to look at Paul in the sermon discussion outlined this, uh, this week, if, you, if you're in one of our small groups. Paul had a slow start. He was not a church planner, Christ follower early on. He was a Christian persecutor and prisoner. He had a slow start. He calls himself the chief of sinners. You know why he kept on talking about grace? Because if God can save me, he can save you. That was Paul's message. He had a slow start. Some of you... You not only have a slow start, maybe if you're really honest, you're still playing the churchy game. You're still a no start. And then some people think, well, it's too far gone. It's too far gone for me. Listen to me. This passage shouts to you. Just because you've had a slow start doesn't mean, or a no start, it doesn't mean you cannot have a strong finish. Man, that's good news. And that's God's, that, that's God's grace. So let me wrap it up with the last line on your outline regarding a final score. Your final score has not been written yet, nor mine. Now, I'm going to heaven because I'm a new creation. I'm forgiven. I'm adopted in. But while I limp across that line, time will tell. Time will tell as yours as well. But here's the deal. Regarding a final score, don't dismiss or write off anyone else, including yourself. Some of you, starting with me, I think I've written off some people. I've stopped praying for them. Because you know what? If, if they haven't changed yet, they're probably not going to change at all. How dare I make a conclusion about the pace of someone else's run towards their finish line? 
Don't dismiss them from your prayers and passion, from your love serving them because they're still a no start or a slow start. Some of you, you have some kids. Some of you, you have some parents. And you so want them to share your faith. And it's a long journey. The journey's not over. Don't dismiss anyone else, including yourself. The devil wants you to dismiss yourself. No one knows how much you struggle. And if they did, they would look down on you. Listen to me, that's from the pit. That is not from Jesus Christ or us at Grace Point Church. Um, So if you're struggling with your faith, you are in good company. I'm part of that as well. But man, let's struggle forward. Let's not struggle backward. Don't miss, don't dismiss anyone else, including yourself. Can we pray? Father, thank you for what you're doing in so many. God, I pray that you would conter- uh, Is that a fire alarm? I don't think so. God, I pray that you would truly help us take a step towards you this morning. Be it a no start, I pray that the no starters would be starters. I pray that the slow goers would be more committed followers. And God, I pray that the non-prayers, the the people who have given up, we we would repent of that and we would stay strong, stay faithful, stay obedient, leave the results to you and them. Thank you for Joseph of Arimathea. Thank you that uh, when his number was called from a bench where he was sitting in secret, he stepped up to the plate. Father, I pray that many at Grace Point Church when they hear their number called, we would step up to the plate. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, honestly, there's no announcements. Now there's just a response from you to him. He's called you here. He's brought you here. You've been here. Now what will you do? Uh, this is not just to listen to a song. This is to respond from your heart to his. And I'll be back just for one last thought. Uh, But have a moment. This is not about anyone else around you. This is about you and Jesus. with me.
me as we sing this song together. Leave a light your regrets and mistakes. Call today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling.
across as you wait for the crowd Tell the world of the treasure you found Keep standing. I just got about 30 seconds uh, more with you. When it says come to the altar, the focus is not coming with your agenda. It's not coming to seek God to come to your bidding. See, when you come to an altar, you come as a living sacrifice. And I, I shared this morning that Joseph of Arimathea was a respected member of the Sanhedrin. See, that's why he was secret. He was aware of what he might lose if he followed Jesus and lived for an audience of one. What are you afraid to lose? What am I afraid to lose when God says, step up, and we stay silent? We, say, we stay secret. I have a new friend, a new sister in Christ. I typically don't share names or countries. I won't share this country, but her name is Nisha. And uh, I got this early this morning, 7.01 a.m. And uh, her prayer request was this. I want to request prayer for marriage. I am 41 years old and single, no kids. I am worrying my time is running out as a woman to give birth. I would appreciate if you can look into my request. I understand you get a lot of prayer requests from around the world on a daily basis. I'd say to Nisha that we love you and we are family with you. And if there is a single man around you, it's time to not be secret about your faith in Jesus anymore, but to step up because there's a godly woman waiting for you to take some initiative. I pray that we would all say, yes, Jesus. To say yes, we're going to have to say no to our fears. I love being a part of church that is willing to go ahead and risk everything for him. Let's do it. In Jesus' name. We'll see you next week.